grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I enjoy the occasional cinematic fiction, kind of like Pastor Jason. He talks about it a lot. Um, for me, like I, I really like TV shows, movies, books, you name it, right? I like consuming that kind of stuff. And so this past week, I started watching a new show called Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds. Um, it, it, it's, I'm not usually a Star Trek person. I'm more of a Star Wars guy, but you know, I figured I'd check it out. I heard good things, and I, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it follows the story of Captain Pike, who is kind of the predecessor for William Shatner's character, Captain Kirk, from the original Star Trek. Um, but as I was watching, I never watched the old ones or anything, and I realized I was missing out. Like, I, there were things, references that I wasn't understanding, and I was thinking, do I need to go back and watch all these old shows? Um, which was a lot. It's like decades of shows, right? And it made it kind of feel inaccessible. Uh, and I know that there would be Star Trek fans who would just be appalled that I was starting with this show and not going back and filling in the library of all the old ones. And in fact, some might even say that I'm not allowed to start with Strange New Worlds, that I have to go back and watch this other one, right? That's a phenomenon that, that people talk about a lot these days called gatekeeping, uh, basically saying you're not allowed to do this until you do that. And that's not just in fiction that you'll see that, but uh, oftentimes like sports. If I tell you that I'm a fan of a certain team and you feel that you're like the gatekeeper of that, you may say, okay, if you're the fan of that team, then who was the starting quarterback in 1976? A real fan would know that, right? Or if I wear like a band t-shirt and somebody says, name three songs from their second album, you would know that if you were actually a fan. These are the kind of things. There's also uh, kind of this this gatekeeping that comes with, uh, with living in certain places, uh, namely Texas. Uh, I, I follow, there's a creator on TikTok, and she moved from California to Texas, as so many did, and her whole thing is, these are the things that I thought that I knew before I came to Texas. And one of them that, that I was cracking up at is she's, she goes, every time I go outside, there's like this buzzing, and nobody seems concerned about it. I don't know if it's electricity or rattlesnakes or bugs that are going to eat me. And, and I'm really worried about this, but nobody else is. And ever since that, I walk out something. There is just kind of a constant drone in the world. Um, she also then in, in replies, people are like, hey, make sure that you water your house. And I 100% thought that it was a joke, like they're messing with her. But I'm finding out that's actually a thing, that you actually have to water your house. I'm very concerned about this. I'm from Florida. We don't have to worry about that. So uh, as it's very dry in Jersey Village, where I live right now, I'm concerned about watering my, I, had, I have a hard enough time watering the lawn. But these are the kind of things, like bits of information that, that you have to learn before you can be a Texan, before you can be a fan of this team, before you can do this. It's called gatekeeping. And in today's reading, our Colossians reading, as we wrap up our sermon series looking at Colossians, uh, we see some, some gatekeeping to Christianity. But before we get into that, let's take a moment and go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance that we get to come together, whether here in person or online, wherever and whenever that may be. We thank you for the chance to worship you. Lord, I pray that this is a moment of sanctuary, a moment away from the chaos of the world that we can just be present with you. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. 
Uh, Lord, I pray, as always, that it is your message. It's not about me or even from me. I submit myself to you, and I pray that all who hear this would be willing to do the same, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. In your name, amen. Again, special welcome to those of you joining online. Our text for today is our reading from Colossians, which is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Uh, and as I said a few weeks ago, whenever you're dealing with the epistles, right, those are the, those books in the New Testament that are explicitly letters, whether they're a letter to an individual or a letter to a church, it's important to remember the context of that letter, right? Uh, who wrote it? And then more importantly, perhaps, who's receiving it? Who is, who is the recipient of this letter? Because that informs kind of the content of what's in there. Of course, we believe that Scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit and, and continues to work uh, even some 2,000, thousands of years later. Uh, it continues to apply to our lives. But it's important to look at the context of who uh, was being written to here. So when it comes to Colossians, it was a small town called Colossae in Greece. And, and basically, uh, the Apostle Paul, probably with the help of Timothy, was writing to the new church in this area. And I say new church because in terms of timing, uh, this letter was written roughly 30 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, right? So 30 years, this new movement called The Way, they didn't call it Christian yet, this new movement called The Way was kind of taking hold. You factor in the fact that you had to the word had to travel, you know, it wasn't like there was the internet, um, and then movements have to start. So you're probably looking at a church that's at most been around for a couple decades. And so they're really wrestling with this idea of what does it mean to be part of this new movement, this new religion? What does it mean to be a Christian? And in that particular culture, they were having this, this cultural wrestling, this, this tension between those who were traditionally Greek and held on to Greek ideals, uh, things like philosophy, even it seems like pantheistic religions were still kind of a thing, this naturalistic idea. And then on the other side, you had Jewish, the Jews, who were historically God's people. And they held their own traditions, and, and so there was a lot of belief, and what they were wrestling with was that you had to become Jewish before you could become Christian. And so the Greeks were like, well, well, what does that mean? Like, what are the things that we have to follow? And so a lot of what Paul has written, even up to this point, has been about kind of what that looks like to be a Christian. And so as we begin our reading today, um, we have to keep in mind that he is writing to Christians. He is addressing Christians. Last week I talked about how preaching for me is sometimes a challenge because I recognize that, that sometimes, I, or most of the time, I'm preaching to a group that is largely dyed-in-the-wool, lifelong churchgoers, like you were born in a pew, more or less. But I also recognize that, that I might be preaching to somebody who has never left a single footprint in a sanctuary carpet, and maybe still has, maybe they're joining online. And so I have to keep that in mind when it comes to how to address this, right? That was not the problem for Paul. He knew that he was writing essentially to the church. Yes, it was a young church, it was a new church, but he was addressing Christians. So let's keep that in mind as we look at, I'm just going to read the first couple of verses here, Colossians 3, beginning with verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are 
on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So, right off the bat there, Paul lays out this list of, of things, this list of wrongdoings. And I want to pay attention to the very first word in this section, if. That if clause is huge. Because what he's saying is, if you are a believer, if you have been raised with Christ, if you are part of this new church, this new the way, this new Christian church, then keep your eyes on heavenly things. Then don't do this list of things. See, in our modern times, we invert that if clause. far to, I'm sure in, in ancient times as well, but we invert that if clause. See, rather than saying, if you are a Christian, then you must or must not do these things. We instead say the opposite. If you do these things, then you cannot be a Christian. See, the emphasis that we tend to put on it is on the action. If you do these things or don't do these things, then you cannot be a Christian. That is not what Paul is saying. He's saying once you have been transformed, once you are dead to your old self, then you will see this change within you. One is focused on the action, is focused on the behavior. The other is focused on the identity. And we as Christians need to recognize that we should be focusing on the identity, that the change in our behavior comes from the change in our soul. Notice, by the way, that if you were to take that particular verse out of context where it says put to death and list sexual immorality, impurity, etc., boy, that would be really easy to say, see, this is, the punishment of these things is death. But that's not what it's saying. What he's talking about how is putting your old self, who you were, to death. It's gone. And you're going to start something new, this new life in Christ. And we switched this if situation. Maybe that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You're like, it really, it's the same thing. But it, here's the difference. We'll go back to my, my Star Trek illustration. If somebody comes to me and says, oh, if you like Star Trek, you really should watch this series. Okay, that's great. That's advice. That's helping me to have a richer experience with this thing that I enjoy, right? But if they flip it and say, if you haven't watched this series, then you don't really know Star Trek. One is inclusive and one is exclusive. One is saying you are part of this community and thus you should have a deeper understanding of what it's about. The other is saying you don't understand this and thus you're not part of this community. The church tends to do the second one. In our modern age and in this country and throughout history, there has been a push to try and get people to change their behavior before they understand the message of Christ. Perhaps we focus less on having everybody behave like a Christian and more on getting everybody to actually become a Christian to understand the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, the love and mercy that he has for all people. Perhaps we'd be better off. If we focus less on having everybody behave like a Christian and more on everybody becoming and understanding what it means to be a Christian, then we as the church would actually be fulfilling the Great Commission. We actually would be doing what we should be doing on this planet. But instead, we're so focused on trying to put Christian morals on everybody. We, 
why would you expect somebody who only knows the world to do anything but follow the way of the world? Let me say this. If you want to change somebody's behavior, you first have to change their heart. You won't ever change their habits, their actions, until you change their heart, or really until God changes their heart. And so we should be focusing on love. We should be focusing on reaching out and sharing the gospel. We should be reaching out and sharing the message that God knows that person and loves that person. Rather than saying, what you're doing is wrong, let's instead say, hey, God loves you, buddy. And then once their heart is changed, hopefully their eyes will be open and they'll see how better to live their lives, how better to leave behind these issues of sin. You can't change somebody's behavior until you change their heart. And so as we look at this, this challenge that we have here, that this first list, the, the sexual morality, the impurity, the, the, the idolatry, all these things, right? This is generally a public expression of faith. This is a way to, kind of everybody was in agreement, like these are the bad things, right? It, it's still true in the church these days, right? We look at, at that first list and we're like, yep. But what about that second list? That second list that's in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. That list seems to imply that, that these are the things that are still happening within a Christian, within this, this new church. Anger and malice and lying and deceit. I assure you, that's still happening within Christians today. We may follow that first list and say, oh, look, the facade is great, but inside we still have this turmoil, this pain, this, this struggle. And so my challenge to you is to look at that list. Because here's the deal. When it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to, to coming to church, this shouldn't be it. This shouldn't be your only exposure to God in the Bible. My challenge to you is when you drive home today, as you're going about whatever you do this week, look back over this list. Go back to Colossians 3 and say, how is this affecting my life? How has this uh, kind of found its way into who I am? And how can I put this away? That's the challenge, to be honest with ourselves. And the reason I'm not going to dive too deeply into that is because Paul hit something at the very end that is crucial, and I do not want to give it not enough time. It's right there at the end. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. See, for the church in Colossae, they were wrestling with this question of identity. What does it look like to be a Christian? Who is a Christian? Can somebody not be Jewish? Can somebody not have these external expressions of an inward faith, right? That's what I talked about last week as circumcision, but there are other things. Uh, it's kind of just a shorthand version of things. But can, can somebody not be Jewish and still be Christian? Conversely, uh, what if somebody holds on to this Greek tradition in the background, and, and can they still be Christian? Well, what Paul is laying out here is he's saying all of that, all of your previous identity, all that you were, is gone. And in fact, the phrases barbarian and Scythian, like to us, like, okay, sure, we can kind of figure out by context clues what that's talking about. Um, and there is some speculation when it comes to barbarian. There is a region, the Berber region, which is in North Africa, and it might be talking about that, but by this point, barbarian just kind of generally meant a foreigner, somebody who, who would come and attack. But let's say that perhaps it's talking about this Berber region in North Africa. Then you have the Scythians that came from basically modern-day Ukraine, 
So these are two people who essentially, like, everybody's concerned about how you live your life, what rules you follow, what religious tradition you have. These are two groups that were as far apart from the current religious tradition as possible. I hesitate to use the word, but essentially savage was the idea. And so if you have Berber, who was in North Africa, and Scythian, who was in Ukraine, maybe they're even pointing out, hey, it's not about the color of your skin. It's not about your race. It's not about where you come from. It's not about the traditions you had when you came in. But instead, it's about how Christ can change your heart and your life. It's not about the mistakes of your past. It's not about the things that you were concerned about. But instead, it's about what Christ does in you. This... This is the gospel that you preach at a prison. This is the gospel you preach to the meth lab and on the street corner. The message that what you were doesn't matter. The mistakes of your past, your your identity that, that maybe you've held on to, it doesn't matter. This is the gospel you preach to the liars and the cheaters and the thieves. This is the gospel that you preach to to the idolaters to the ones who who spread deceit, to the the gossips. This is the gospel you preach to sinners. This is the gospel you preach to Christians. Because maybe you've been sitting in a pew your entire life, but there have been times in your life where you sat in that pew and you were worried that you are going to be exposed as a hypocrite. There are times in your life where you came into church and you're thinking, boy, I need to hear that absolution really bad this week. Or maybe you've spent your entire life on the run from God. You were the prodigal son and you were afraid to come back. My friend, the gospel is for you. Whatever you were, whatever your past was, whatever mistakes you have, whatever thing that you have that you're terrified of people finding out about, Christ knows and yet still forgives. That's the gospel. And we can't be the gatekeepers. We don't stand in the way of the gate. Because you're thinking, okay, didn't Jesus say that I am the narrow gate, that the way of Christ is a narrow gate? Yes, but all are welcome. We're not the ones who stand in the way. In fact, we're just blessed to be able to go through. We have to be honest about our own shortcomings. I don't care if you've been in, in church for 97 years or this is your very first time. We have to be honest about our shortcomings because only then do we realize that we need a Savior. Only then does the love of God suddenly matter and mean something to us. We, the church, need to get out of the way of the gate. We need to stop throwing up obstacles for people. Even little things like like when to sit and stand, how to do all the dance moves that we do in church, how to sing the songs, all these different things. We need to figure out ways that that gate is wide open that they can see, that the world can see that they are welcome. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, may we have the courage, first of all, to recognize that we aren't worthy of our own merit to walk through that gate, but that through the love of Christ, we are given entrance. May we have the strength to get out of the way, to the perspective to see what it means to understand Christ for the first time. May we have the strength to recognize our old selves, the things of this world that we so often give into, and that we can try and be better people, that lifelong struggle that we'll go through. And then may we get out of the way of the gospel so that the world may see that all are welcome. My friends, 
you are loved. They, whoever they is, is loved. For God so loved the entire world that he gave his only son for us so that we wouldn't perish, but that we would have everlasting life in paradise. That is the gospel for you. Amen.